Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 18. Hear God's word. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that's burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens." The words once more indicate the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mike, and I have the privilege of preaching to you this morning from that passage. Um, I, we don't have any handouts, we've got some kids amongst us, but even if you're not a kid, if you like to draw, as I do when you're listening to a sermon, I, I suggest perhaps drawing two mountains or two cities on a piece of paper. You might have noticed in that Bible passage there are two mountains that we're going to look at um, this morning, and you might want to compare those or maybe draw a little road map or something like that. That might be a fun exercise to do. Uh, while you're listening to a sermon on this passage. But let me begin uh, in prayer as we look through uh, some of the details of this passage. Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God, a God who speaks, uh, a God who judges justly, and a God who saves and rescues, a God who cleanses and speaks a word of comfort and assurance to us. Father, we pray that you'd help us this morning to know where we are and to live as citizens of grace, clinging to what lasts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I never like to pass up a good opportunity to tell a funny story. And if you know me long enough, you'll probably hear the same stories repeated more than once. Um, And I once told what I thought was a witty story to some friends about a guy I knew called Gareth who turned up to his first day on the job at a grocery store, a brand new job, without wearing any pants and without wearing a shirt. He just wore a singlet, stubby shorts and thongs with socks. 
Now, I thought it was a witty story because, well, who wears socks and thongs, right? I mean, thongs are for bare feet. I'm not really even sure how physically possible it is to wear socks and thongs. You know, you get all the, all the sock kind of crunched together between your toes. It's like, who wants to wear thongs like that? Uh, and a singlet and shorts to a grocery store? I mean, I think that's kind of normal attire, perhaps for a Bricky's labourer, but not for turning up at Woolies. However, the friends I told the story to found it funny for an entirely different reason. Uh, Mostly because the friends I was talking to were English and I was in England and the words pants and thongs have something, uh, mean something entirely different over in the UK. Uh, By a strange coincidence in the UK, both of those terms refer to uh, underwear and for their sake, I should have called the pants trousers, uh, and I should have called the thongs flip-flops. Now, we might wonder why they don't talk proper over there in uh, England, like we do here, but that's what they call them, right? They're flip-flops and they're trousers, not pants and thongs. And although I think I could persist out of a sense of stubborn Aussie patriotism, in the end, if you want to be understood without having to explain yourself over and over again, you learn their terms and you just go with it. Now, of course, every place and every country has their own customs to learn, whether it's tipping in the United States or perhaps removing your shoes in Japan. But when you first know where you are, then you can work out how to live according to the right customs. Right? It it should change your language, your vocabulary, it should change your behaviour even. And this is what I think we have before us in our passage in Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews wants the Christians he's addressing to persevere in the Christian faith, to see their faith right through to the end and to live peaceful and holy lives, not becoming bitter and twisted or godless and immoral. If you just cast your eyes back a few verses there in chapter 12 to verses 14 and 16, this is exactly what the writer says. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless. Now, I think there are actually plenty of ways that you can encourage those outcomes in uh, your church of believers that you want them to remain faithful. You know, you could use a nice big stick and say, do this or else. Or perhaps you could just play the guilt card and shame people into persevering for the faith. And I think both of those methods, they have their time and place. But what the writer does here instead is remind them of where they live. Remind them of where they are, not just located in uh, the first century Middle East, Palestine, Asia area, not just under severe Roman and Jewish persecution, but where they have truly come to live, in the kingdom of the living God. And so here is our first big question. Where do you live? Where do you live? Here's our first point. Living where you are, verses 18 to 24. 
Because here is where the writer to Hebrews tells us where we live. He says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches that mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. This is where you are, and this is where you are to live. Where are you? Well, you're not at that mountain in the Old Testament where God's voice brought terror, you're not faced with the burning fire, the darkness, the gloom and the storm of an unapproachable God. You're not at that mountain where the weight of God's commands were unbearable. You're not under the old covenant with its rules and its regulations. You don't live in that place where your confidence to approach God is shattered and the very real physical presence of God is simply terrifying. Instead, verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You live in the city of God's grace. Yes, you know, you still live here in the city of Sydney, and Sydney is what you can smell and hear and taste and touch, but Sydney is not just where you you live. You are also very much now living in God's heavenly city where countless of angels rejoice at his grace, where all those reborn in Christ, past and present, are members, where God, the judge of all, judges in favour for his saints. You live now in God's heavenly city where all the believers that have died have now met their final goal where Jesus continuously mediates our relationship with God and where the blood of Jesus speaks a word of comfort to us, not a word of condemnation against you like the blood of Abel. See, this is where you live. You live as a citizen in God's city of grace. You live as a fully-fledged member of his community. You live under his banner and his word of promise. Now, we we know how citizenship works. We know that if you're a citizen here in Australia, by rights, you get all the benefits of what Australia has to offer. Australian public education, Medicare, Australian consular help if you're overseas, the right to vote in local, state and federal elections, and then also, of course, the right to scorn governments after you've elected them as well. 
Uh, there are many great benefits to being a citizen in Australia. But to be a member of God's city of grace, to be a citizen of grace, means you have the confidence and the freedom to boldly approach God without fear, always and at any time, to join in rejoicing with the angels, to enjoy the security of membership in God's holy community, and to keep hearing again and again the comforting words of God's favour through the blood of Jesus. You see, Christianity is not about beating yourself up and always feeling guilty and ashamed. It's the opposite. It's about a true and deep joyfulness. It's about comfort and assurance of sins forgiven and life eternal with the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. It is liberating to live as a citizen of grace. And so the tough question is, do you know where you are? Do you know where you live? Because it's all too easy to not believe it when you're faced day to day in and out with the city around you that you can touch and smell and taste and see. It's all too easy to live by the customs of this city, right? to compete for everything, to trust in my own ability and my own power and choices and then to take credit for everything I achieve or acquire. So it's all too easy to live just day to day focused on public health orders, restrictions, anxieties, managing a COVID safe Christmas, re-entering into public spaces, relearning how to navigate city streets, all the tasks that need to be done each day. It's all too easy just to think of those things. Who has time to think about what it's like to live as a citizen by God's grace. And that's not to mention how all too easy it is to forget the gracious word of Jesus when the blood of your own guilt continually cries out in condemnation, when no amount of effort can cleanse a guilty conscience, when no amount of self-medicating can make you forget the past and the hurts. And yet, even though you live here in the city of Sydney, even though you are being ambushed on every side by promises of a brighter future and new opportunities and your calendar is already full of plans for this new year, and even though there is still the persistent worry in the back of your mind that all of this could unravel at any moment, and it's hard to manage that anxiety and uncertainty, you are now, already a citizen of the heavenly Jerusalem. You are a citizen of grace. And you are to live by those customs, by the customs of that city, those customs of grace. You are to trust in the word of Jesus that cleanses and restores and heals and forgives not forgetting that this is how you are to live in peace with everyone and be holy. That's what the writer said back in verse 14. So here's some hard questions to ask ourselves. By what customs are you living? What place dominates your life? 
your behaviour, your language, your values? What city is shaping your responses to other people around you and your priorities? They're hard questions, aren't they? You see, you are to live where you are as a citizen of grace. And you are to stay where you are as a citizen of grace by clinging to the word that lasts. So here's our second and final point, staying where you are. Verses 25 to 29. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken will remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, there's an interesting tension, I think, here in this passage that maybe you've spotted. Right? If I'm already, right now, a secure citizen of grace in God's heavenly community, then why am I being warned about rejecting his voice and falling out of that community? Right? It's a tension that runs all the way through this epistle to the Hebrews, but more than that, I think it's a tension that we feel in our day-to-day lives as well, isn't it? I mean, it's not as if God's grace is any less capable of keeping you in his unshakable kingdom, but it's that we are people who are prone to wander, We are people who are prone to forgetting where we live and therefore we forget how we should live. You see, you are now already by the blood of Jesus in the kingdom and yet you are still receiving the kingdom, verse 28. You've no doubt seen this in other believers and in God's kindness you might have even seen this in yourself. Who hasn't believed the gospel and put their faith in the Lord Jesus and yet still finds themselves following the customs of this place? Who hasn't believed the gospel and put their faith in Jesus and yet still finds themselves captivated by the speech of this world over and above the voice of God? And so by the grace of God, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. And especially because we know already the joy of his grace through that word of comfort. Because not only do we know his grace, but when all is said and done, none of these worldly distractions, these created things, will remain. Verse 26. Right now, for background there in verse 26, the author is quoting from Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6 in the Old Testament, which is a a prophecy of God's judgment where God will remove everything in opposition to him. 
So it's not as if created material things are what are evil in and of themselves, but it's those created things in opposition to God that are considered evil. It's all those things that kind of dull your wits and stop up your ears to hearing His voice. All those things that distract and lead you away from depending on the blood of Jesus. Those things in opposition to God. They're the things that need to be removed. And so, just as God's voice at Mount Sinai once shook the earth, His voice will again do it a second time for the heavens and the earth. And God will sift everything that opposes and refuses him. Now this warning, I think, sounds a little bit like using the stick, obey or else. And it is, I think. But remember that this God who speaks this word of warning is the God who speaks through the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus who speaks a word of grace and comfort to those who trust in him. A word of salvation through his blood, not a word of condemnation, like the blood of Abel. And so you see, this is how you stay as a citizen of grace, by not refusing his word of grace. Not clinging to the current trends or the latest ideologies, not slavishly dieting on the praise of others and those around about you, or investing yourself in what is consumable. Instead, see to it that you don't refuse him who speaks this word of grace in Jesus. And why would you want to refuse him? Why would you want to refuse that word? Why would you instead want to hold on to things that won't last when you're receiving a kingdom that will endure forever? Why would you want to live as a citizen of this perishable city when you can live in security as a citizen in the eternal city of grace? Now, I know the answer to those questions. It's because I'm a native of this perishable city. Because it's hard to swim against the tide. And it's easy for me to think that I need to indulge in everything that I have here and now, while I I have it here and now. That's why I don't listen. That's why I invest myself in these customs of this place. But this is why verses 28 to 29 are so important to hear. You are receiving an unshakable kingdom. It will stand through God's judgment while everything else is sifted away. And so cling to the unshakable God who speaks an unshakable word of grace to you. And worship him with thankfulness and reverence and awe so that you might invest all of yourself as a citizen of the city of grace exchanging temporal goods for eternal goods, temporary honour for eternal honour, and eternal loss for eternal gain in the unshakable kingdom. For our God is a consuming fire. 
and like fire he will consume all that is in opposition to him and with it all that brings trouble in this fleeting world so that one day only the city of grace will remain and you'll see him with your own eyes you'll see the countless angels and you'll be perfected with all of God's family with all of the saints so again let's ask ourselves some hard questions what are you clinging to what fleeting trends what passing phase what latest trinket are you letting shape you your values your priorities your decisions and maybe especially at this time of year as you sit down and make your new year's resolutions for this year maybe run that ruler across them what is shaping those resolutions or perhaps what trouble is it in this world that preoccupies you and holds you captive still to fear and anxiety what are the fears that drive you because those things those troubles those trends those trinkets and toys they're all consumable they're all transient they're all fleeting and they're all passing instead cling to what is unshakable live as a citizen of god's grace in the eternal city of god's grace clinging always to what lasts let's pray our father we pray that you would help us to know where we live that you would help us to then live as a citizen of your city of grace by the principles of your grace by the certainty and security and assurance of your word of grace and father we pray that we might be able to stay as citizens of grace clinging to your word clinging to that enduring promise clinging to what lasts and not to these feeble and transient and fleeting things that dizzy us and distract us but never offer life or fulfillment father we pray that you would embolden us and make us able to do this as members of your family through the lord jesus christ amen